if you're anything like me, you have difficulty in actually counting down to the end, right? I just count down, and I do that well, but I always, I do it well until it gets to the end, and I'm perpetually surprised when I have arrived at what I was counting down to. And we see it happening all around us, right? We see the lights going up in places, and decorations, and sails, and all this. It's talk, it's there, and people set up nativity scenes, and you see them going up, and there's this one version, I think of, uh, I think it might be a homemade version. You get a template, you kind of cut it out, and uh, you see Joseph, and we have a picture of it. We see Joseph uh, and Mary kneeling over the manger, and the problem for me is that I know what it's supposed to be. I know that when I look at it, but it's not what I see, and I'm going to ruin it for you too. I have some issues, but I see the two roaring T-Rexes with a table saw in between them. Have you, have you ever seen one of these before? Like, they're around, and you, you'll see them. Um, and is that really the real meaning of Christmas? Uh, to, ha- to help us sort out, we have four accounts of Jesus' life. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And this is a big, big deal, and that's why I bring it up uh, frequently. Again and again, we don't just have one account. We have four accounts all from an eyewitness. Matthew and Mark actually give us the birth narrative. Matthew, uh, Mark and John, they don't actually mention the birth narrative, okay? Mark is the shortest gospel, and he is direct. He is straight in on what he's going to do. And so here's how the gospel of Mark begins. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Just boom, right in. No, this is where I'm going. This is where I'm heading. This is what I'm pointing to. Let me tell you, what I'm coming from, so you know as we read this. Mark is just filtering it down. He says, forget about Mary and Joseph, all right? Let's just get down to it. Let's just get right into it. And then we get to John the Baptist, and we're, and we're suddenly 30 years into Jesus' life. And the gospel writer John, well, we've talked about him a bunch in the last couple of weeks. John doesn't really tell us what happened at the beginning of Jesus' life. John tells us why it happened. So John, as you will recall, took care of Mary, the mother of Jesus, until she died. An early church tradition says that they moved to just outside the city of Ephesus. And of course, there is now a tourist site there that says, this is the place, right? Come and spend the night in the Apostle John's Airbnb. Uh, John spent lots of time with Mary. He had lots of time to get all the facts, all the stories, all the insights. John knew because John knew Mary. But when John begins his gospel, there is no mention of the little town of Bethlehem. No angels, no shepherds, no star. John tells us why Jesus came. He says stuff differently than the other guys. He gets going uh, in his gospel, with what I think is one of my favorite kind of one-liners in, the, in all of Scripture. It's a great summary statement to give facts, but tone so efficiently. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Instead of giving a play-by-play, John explains what was really going on, the stuff that you cannot necessarily see from the surface. And God has made an appearance. He wants you to get it. He wants you to understand it right up front. God 
the eternal spirit, came down to earth in a body. God in a bod. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. I love that part. Full of grace and truth. And I want to be in the presence of grace and truth. And I want to be like that for other people, full of grace and truth. And I want to be around other people who are in earnest pursuit of the one who embodies that so clearly. Grace and truth. John wrote a whole bunch of other stuff that describes the significance of Jesus coming. In verse 9 there, it says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into this world. Here is some more why behind the what, right? On the very first Christmas morning, God gave everyone a gift. He came to light up our lives. And from that point on, as we begin to understand what Jesus taught, well, then we, be able, then, then we are able to see our lives being able uh, to now see into dark places. We are able to understand things that people before Jesus couldn't understand. The light coming into the darkness means that we will be able to see things that have not been seen before. Oh, I never, I never realized that about myself. The light helps me to see that. Oh, I didn't realize that's how I'm supposed to treat people. The light now reveals this. But the thing that makes John's gospel so different is that John gets so extremely personal. He gets personal about Jesus. He writes this right up, right up front in the beginning. So in verse 12, he says, yet to all who did receive him, and I go, pause, right? I don't know if they're going to know what that means. I don't know if they're going to know what I meant by that. How do you do that? How do you, how do you receive a baby? How, how do you receive an adult? Then John does something important. John is trying to emphasize how personal this is. So John takes two Greek words that have never been combined before. John creates a phrase. And according to all of the Greek literature up to this point, these two words have never been put together before. He takes the Greek for faith, pisteo, to believe. And then he takes this little connector word that means in. And he puts them together. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in. Those are the words that have never been put together before. Believe in. Frankly, it sounds a little odd to us. Because it feels like that phrase has just always been around. How could it not have been around? But it's more than just believe that. It's more like the idea of placing one's weight upon, trusting in, the way you would approach a chair or a bridge, to all those who receive him, and then repeat the idea with different words, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. John wants to make sure that we get this part clear, right at the beginning before he tells the rest of the story. This is not just a story or, or a tale of days gone by. This is so personal. And if you want to know the why behind the what, if you want to know the why behind the birth narrative or 
if you want to have the answer, why do we even have this story at all? Um, why did Jesus come? Well, then the person that you want to talk to is John. He finishes off his gospel by closing it all down with this explanation. And we looked at this a couple of weeks ago, too. This is the very end of the book of John. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. John wanted us to know that this stuff actually happened. This is history. This is God in a body, and the purpose of it, the, the, the reason for it, the why behind the what, is so that you could have a personal relationship with the God that up to this point in history had seemed so unknowable. It was true that God loved the whole world, but it was more than that. God loved all the different who's in the world. God loved all the you's in the world. God loved every single individual. And it's true that John would write that Jesus died for all the sins of the world, but John wanted us to know that Jesus died for your sin. And this is where we get our idea of a personal Savior. Christ is my personal Savior. Jesus came into the world for the whole world, but not just in a bulk shipping kind of way. Jesus came into the world for every single individual person. But these are written that you might believe. And it took John, and, and it took Matthew, and it took Peter, and Andrew, and James, and all the other followers of Jesus. It took them three years to figure this out. Throughout Jesus' whole ministry, they kept thinking, is now the time? Is now the time you're going to restore Israel? What about now? What about now? What about, what about now? Is this the time that we are going to become a great kingdom again? Is now the time that we're going to throw off Roman rule? When, when does that day start? We believe you are the Messiah, the Christ. So let's get started already, right? We've got a whole lot more Messiahing to get done. When are you going to start acting like a king? And for three years, they kept waiting for him to do something that he never planned to do. It took them three years, a death and a resurrection, to figure out that this man who came into the world came in to be the savior of the world and not just the savior of Israel. All along they had the wrong agenda. And the reason that this is so important is that we often have a wrong agenda for Jesus as well. We want Jesus to do so many things. We have a plan so perfectly laid out for him to follow. John wants to make sure that we don't miss the why behind the what. Jesus came into the world to be a personal, one-on-one -on -one Savior. So then the big question that follows is the, do you believe? Not do you believe that, but have you trusted in. 
So Jesus finally got through to these guys. And as much as they thought that their problems are like ours, they had a problem with Rome, right? And as much as they thought their problem was like money, the same way that we do, and as much as they thought our problem was the culture that's around us, it finally dawned on them like it hopefully dawns on us that God gave us exactly what we needed because our problem at the root is sin. And don't kid yourself about the point of Christmas. God sent his son Jesus to be your personal savior. And John is saying the whole time, trust me, I was there. John does such a great job of this. That's why we're going to go and look at Luke. Mark was just diving in. He said, let's get going, let's go. And John is trying to tell us why it all happened. But Luke, he starts by saying, I heard a lot of stories, right? I met all these fascinating people. Uh, I, I've seen the miracles, but somebody has to write this all down. Somebody has to uh, organize it so that you can know what happened. So Luke went around and he interviewed all of the eyewitnesses, and then he put together an orderly account. Luke's gospel does not begin with, and once upon a time, or in a galaxy far, far away. Luke's gospel begins with, I have talked to the people that were there. I talked to the crowd that watched. I, I, I talked to the people who were in that group. I have talked to eyewitnesses. And in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you, loaded with detail, just loaded with facts and facts and facts. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of a greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Don't worry, you're not in trouble. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. Now, this part is really important. It's important, but it's also tricky, okay? Pay attention for this part. Jesus is actually the Latin name for Jesus. Mary doesn't hear Jesus when the angel speaks. She didn't hear the Greek word either, because the Greek word is just a transliteration of the Hebrew word that we know as Joshua. But there's no J in Hebrew, so it's actually pronounced Yeshua, Yeshua. This is really important to the later part of the story, okay? So Mary hears an angel say, you're going to give birth to a son, and I'm just going to go ahead and tell you what to name him as well. You're going to name him after that Old Testament hero, Joshua. And he will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Pause. This is interesting. If you've ever read the book of Acts, or you've been around here long enough, you know that we keep talking about uh, the kingdom of God. And we trace the idea of the kingdom of God not specifically back to God. We track it back to Jesus. So we know for sure that what the angel told Mary has come true 
for at least 2,000 plus years. The kingdom that we know as the church eventually was launched by Jesus and we still talk about it today. Now, imagine if we're in kind of like an old western. We're going to leave Luke right here and we're going to say, meanwhile, over in the book of Matthew, because I want to try and put the things together for you. This is how the birth of Jesus came, Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found. This was an awkward day. She was found, literally, that means she was found out. And as uncomfortable as that is for a young girl in our world, in that culture, it's a capital offense. She could have been burned to death. She would most certainly have been ostracized. Parents would say, don't hang out with Mary. She's a bad influence. She was found to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. But because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, get Joseph. He's a good guy. He's trying to live out the, those principles that Jesus came with. Do you remember those principles that Jesus came with? Jesus came full of grace and truth. He had in mind to divorce her, divorce her quietly. Getting betrothed was marriage already, but not yet. Breaking off their engagement was equivalent to our idea of divorce. They were connected. This was not just about him trying to get, get his sweatshirt back or his promise ring back. He actually had to go to a judge. This was a legal thing. It, it had to be done. He had to legally break up with her. There was, this was a big ordeal, and there was no way for this to not become public. But Joseph decided to keep it as much on the down low as possible. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, even though people are going to talk, even though people are going to assume that you're the Father. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Now, this is where it gets exciting for Joseph, okay? Remember, he didn't hear Jesus. He heard the Hebrew word, Yeshua. Because he will save his people, he's going, Joseph's thinking to himself, he goes, yeah, I know what this is all about. A baby comes from God, baby named Yeshua. I can see where this is going. Of course, my son, my son is going to save his people. I know that one day the Messiah would come. I knew it was going to happen. And the Messiah, he's going to come in the spirit of Joshua. He will have the wisdom of Moses and he will be a military leader like Joshua. Just like Joshua took the people of Israel into the promised land and vanquished all of the Israel's enemies in the same way. This Messiah will show up and he's going to throw off Rome and he's going to throw off all of our enemies and he will make Israel a great nation again. I'm a part of this fulfillment. 
of this thing that we have all been waiting for and longing for for so long. The time has come. And I'm going to have a son. And his name is going to be Joshua. And he's going to be like the Joshua of the Old Testament. And he is going to save his people. The angel keeps right on going. He says, hey, 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 buddy, you might want to listen to the end of the message before you hang up. He will save his people from their sins. Oh. Okay. What? Excuse me, Mr. Angel. What you're talking about, that's not really a big deal though, right? That's not even a pressing need. Just a little bit down the road, you know, like 80 miles, 130 kilometers south of here, we have a pretty sophisticated save-you-from-your-sins system already up and running. It's called the temple. You know, we got the law of Moses. You've heard of Moses. He's really kind of a big deal, right? We've got priests. We've got a whole save-you-from-your-sins system covered. I go down there at least once a year. I get some pigeons, uh, I, I get a lamb or a goat, and we do a sacrifice, and we are all saved from our sins. It's all taken care of. Don't worry about it. This is not what we need. Let me tell you what we need, angel. Rome. Hey, Rome. Rome, they need to be saved from their sins, right? They need to be saved so much from their sins that you should probably take them back to Rome and save them all real good. We need them to be purified, like by fire, right? Old Testament plague-style purification for them. Saving from sins was not in the agenda that they had for their Messiah. They did not see or understand the spiritual significance and the nature of the saving from Egypt. But the angel does describe the son that Joseph would have coming in the spirit of Joshua. But he's coming to save the people from what they need saving from the most. Their sin. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel had commanded him, and he took Mary home to be his wife. You know, it's so hard to hear again what you've heard so many times before. But this is full of all kinds of good stuff in here. Back to Luke, okay? In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And everyone went to their own town to register. Joseph and Mary lived in Nazareth, okay? We are looking at you know, again, about 130 kilometers from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. But the prophets of old predicted that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. But they are not in Bethlehem. They are in the north, in Nazareth. And she's starting to show. She's past that. She's right near to giving birth. And they have got to have been having their, their strategy planned out, right? They've got their birth plan written down. They've been booking a midwife. And they might have even set themselves up with a doula. <laughs> All in Nazareth. And somewhere along the line, God elbowed somebody in the Roman Empire and said, we've got to do something. So reports are drawn up. And they're brought to the office of Caesar. And they say, we need an updated list of all the people. 
So God used the most powerful man in the world, on the planet, he used him to make sure that his son was born in the right place, and Caesar Augustus had no idea that it even happened. But it earned him a mention in the story of the birth of a Savior of the world. And so Joseph uh, also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the city and the town of David, because he belonged to the house and to the line of David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. This is not an easy journey, that 130 kilometers. In the picture books, um, whenever you see it, Mary is riding a what? A donkey. And do you know what verse that is in? That would be no verses in any gospel, all right? It's just a good picture for books and for cards. And then you get the idea that they're walking through the Badlands, right? And Joseph's got a staff in one hand, he's got the reins in the other, and Mary's sitting on the donkey, her legs carefully draped over the donkey, and maybe that's how it happened. But they would not have gone alone. It was far too dangerous. They would have gone in a group, and of course there would have been a group because everyone had to be counted, right? They all had to go back to towns that their families were from, not just them. It could take between five and eight days to make this journey, and this journey is made harder because Mary is very pregnant, not a little pregnant. Um, and no doubt, as they're going, they're in a bad mood, murmuring and complaining the whole way. Why in the world would God do this to us? Is this what it feels like to be chosen by God? And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, watching over their flocks at night. Why shepherds? We don't know. At least not for sure. But here's what we do know about shepherds. They were always ceremonially unclean because of their job. And I'm pretty sure that they were always plain unclean too. They could not enter the temple. You provide the lambs, the sheeps, whatever we need for our, our, our sacrifices and our ceremonial meals, but you could never participate in them. They were outcasts from the whole religious system. So God chooses to announce the birth of his son to the group of people who are the least likely to, uh, to be able to participate in something like that. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. Born to you guys. The ones that thought that you were beyond saving. You guys who have been excluded from every religious thing for your entire lives. A Savior has been born to you. You are included. And He's the Messiah. He's the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly a great uh, 
company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace on those whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's go see this thing that has happened. This thing that has happened. And here's something that you need to understand if you are not a Christian, or maybe even if you are a Christian. We are not Christians because of the Bible. We are Christians because something happened. We are Christians because God came to earth and things happened. People recorded those things that happened because that's what you do when important things happen. You record them. And everything the emperor did, they recorded. And everything that famous generals did, they recorded. But other than emperors and generals, not very much got recorded in the first century. But we have four accounts of the life of a carpenter who grew up in the backwoods of Nazareth in Galilee. Why? Because something happened. The fact that something happened is why it's recorded. It is precious. It was copied. People died to make sure that it would make it to our generation. We are Jesus followers, not book followers. We are not Jesus followers because of a book. We are Jesus followers because something happened. God came to earth. God came near in the form of a baby. It was such a big deal that even though they were nobodies, this story was recorded and, and protected and copied and cherished and People throughout the centuries have died to make sure that it would be passed from generation to generation to you. Christianity is not fragile. It is not hanging by a fine thread. Something happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen them, they spread the word concerning what they what had been told to them about this child and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them but mary treasured all these things up and pondered them in her heart and we assume that mary and joseph did their best to raise jesus as a regular normal child and then 33 years later she would watch her son die and she looked into an empty tomb, hearing that he had been stolen. And then she would be embraced by her resurrected son. And at that moment, she knew without a doubt, in fact, that what the angel foretold was true, that he was the savior of all mankind, of all humanity. But it wasn't just that he was a savior. He was her personal savior. And Matthew would do his best to write it all down. Something happened. And Luke, he would do his best to interview and talk and to write it all down, to get it right, because he wanted people to have some sort of chronological order. But it would be John. John who took care of Mary 
It would be John who would summarize it best. Little did he know that he was to, uh, that what he was to write would be, would be rewritten and copied. It would be read and it would be memorized by adults and by children all over the world in places he didn't know existed. More than 2,000 years later, when he wrote it, it had never been written before. It had never been said, and he summarized all of that like this. And maybe you've heard this yourself. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him, that trusts in and places their weight on him, shall not perish, but have eternal life. Can you imagine what it would have been like to write that? But he wasn't done. There is also the next verse, which is the most overlooked verse in the entire Bible, John 3, 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. How has this message been so distorted but to save the world through him. That's Christmas. That's the message that, that our world needs to know. That's what we need to tell everybody. That's why we exist as a church. That the world may know. God loves you. Jesus came to earth not to condemn you, but to save you. That's why he came and died for you, because you are loved. And that's why we celebrate Christmas. Because the angels were right. The angel was right to Mary and to Joseph and to the shepherds. God sent a Savior into the world, not to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Which means, in spite of what we think we need, in spite of what you think you need right now, God understands what we really need. A Savior. A personal Savior who is Christ the Lord. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for ensuring that we have this much detail about the life and all that happened in that life that began with an obscure parent couple. This story has changed my life and it has changed the lives of many people here today. We don't know all that you have protected us from because by your grace you were, we were protected from it. Thank you. Help us to celebrate this season well well-informed of what happened, well-informed that we are well-loved. Help us to take seriously what we have heard today about a personal Savior. Help us to live well in the grace that you have freely given. Guide us to freely receive. And thank you for hope, for peace, for joy, for love, and that, the best summary of all those put together. Thank you. Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen.